everyone. Welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Milham. And hey, it is opening day. We are all super, super amped for opening day at Kauffman Stadium. The Kansas City Royals will be hosting AL Central opponent, the Minnesota Twins, at 310 Kauffman Standard Time. But hey, we got to get y'all ready for the rest of the 160 game season so i have two very very special guests with me tonight first he is a prospects live analyst and the beyond baseball podcast host jared perkins jared how you doing tonight man man i am excited to be here ready for opening day tomorrow uh it's gonna be great it it really is it really is and the guy who on this podcast is actually closest to Kansas City is my second <laughs> guest tonight. He is the Royals reporter. He is educator extraordinaire Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing good, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. Just ready, ready to have the day, the personal day in for for the for Kaufman's festivities tomorrow so i can't wait so i know i know so i i do have to ask are you what what's the plan for tomorrow uh plan for tomorrow is uh getting a breakfast and within the river market at the city diner and then heading down to meeting some people in the in the parking lot and just hanging out and enjoying uh join the views of the k until we first pitch so um you know that's the best way to do it just taking your time Heck yeah, heck yeah. And speaking of taking your time, please go take the time to check out RoyalsReview.com who make this podcast happen every single week. All of the, well, not, I wouldn't say all of it because Kevin uh, does some pretty good analysis if you ask me. <laughs> some of the best news analysis and updates on everything Kansas City Royals. Please go check out the roundtable article that we put out there. All the writers, we answered some questions that these two are going to answer tonight as well. And then plus you could check out my pessimistic predictions thread on uh, Royals review. I am looking over that and I am by far the most pessimistic one for some reason in this uh, entire website. So that is very, very surprising, but Hey, maybe you two will show me up. So Kevin, I gotta, I gotta start with you so you can, uh, you know, go get some, some beauty sleep before the big old party <laughs> tomorrow. Um, there is, I think there's a wide, range of expectations for these Royals in the 2023 season, but there are some wickets that a lot of people want to see hit this season as well. In your opinion, what is the best case scenario for the Royals this year? I think the best case scenario is something similar to what we saw with the Baltimore Orioles last year. Um, kind of that, um, you know, the, the Baltimore Orioles were really built on a solid bullpen, but kind of a surprising solid bullpen. You had like Jorge Lopez and Felix Bautista. Um, not a lot of big names, but guys who just kind of uh, fit the new analytics movement that was going on in Baltimore. And and I also think they just had a good crop of young of young hitters that they were building on and just good enough starting pitching, not great starting pitching. And we forget that Baltimore, I mean, Jordan Miles was like their second best starter last year. So, you know, as much as everybody hates the Jordan Miles signing, it's like, well, he was the second best pitcher on an 83 win team. So maybe we should chill out. Um, but again, <laughs> they didn't have John Means last year. So um so I, I do, but I also think that like we saw from Baltimore, they didn't necessarily go all in. They kind of kept the course, you know, they traded Trey Mancini kind of saying, Hey, this yeah. is not our year. And so I think that's the best case scenario. We see, um, 
growth from NJ and Bobby Witt and Vinny Pasquantino and Michael Massey. Um, we see the bullpen really become a strength and then the starting pitching just be good enough to kind of make them a slightly above 500 team. Okay. All right. Jared, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I kind of agree. I have some similar thoughts that Kev does. I mean, to me, it seems like the best case scenario would be somewhat like a 75 win team, right? That almost like that uh, 2012 season they had before the 2013 season where they won 86 games and almost made the playoffs. I mean, like, I feel like that's where you have to kind of think about it. I mean, I think people thought that's where they were in 2021 when they won 74 games. Um, and like, oh, maybe we're going to make that next step. But then they all of a sudden took a step back um, and when only won 65 games last year. So if they can get somewhere over 70 wins, start trending in the right direction that we saw right before that kind of 20 through 13. And then, of course, the 2014 and 2015 World Series. Like, I think that's what you want. You want to see a team that's going to win over 70 games. Um and you know, you're not going to make the playoffs. They're probably not going to make the playoffs a year after that, but you want to see some kind of step in the right direction. And I think getting over 70 wins, getting to potentially 75 wins, I think that's the best, the best case scenario you could hope for. For sure. For sure. I, I definitely agree. The only thing that I would add to both y'all's points is I want to see the young core actually set themselves apart you know we mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of guys who are borderline are they in the long-term future in kansas city you know I, I i love michael massey but is he gonna prove this season that his bat is gonna play at the major league level what about nate eaton is he gonna be the super utility role um there's there's a lot of other fringe guys that i'm blanking on right now but I do want to say in 2011, in 2011, 2012, even a little bit in 2013, you had those young players set themselves apart shortly mm -hmm. after their debut. So that's what I'm hoping to see this season. And yeah, best case scenario for the win column, I would say 75. I'm not expecting too much, but we will get to our specific win predictions later on in the podcast. Jared, question number two, I'm going to have you start off now. Put on, put on your pessimism hat, because what is the worst case scenario for the Royals this year? I think you think about less than 65 wins, right? And going in the trending in the wrong direction, seeing no progress from guys like Keller or Lynch or Bubik. Um, same thing like you talked about, maybe none of those hitting prospects setting themselves apart next. You still have Waters in flux. You still have Isbell in flux, Oliveras, all these guys who are like, oh, can they be an everyday guy? Are they fringe average fourth outfielders? Um, so I think a lot of it's going to be like, that's probably the worst case scenario. If the rotation really falters and you're, you're basically rolling Grinky and Singer out there and none of the other guys take a step forward. Um, and I think also uh, that the bullpen seems like it has the potential to be strong. And if it's not strong and they're having the same issues that they had uh, in the last couple of years, I think that's, that's probably the worst case scenario as we see kind of a repeat. For sure. Kevin, your thoughts. I mean, I, Jared kind of, you know, touched on a lot of my concerns and my fears. Yeah. Um, the big thing I worry about is possibly an injury. Like if you have mm -hmm. somebody like Bobby Wood Jr. get injured and we kind of see that that pattern like we did with Mondesi. Now, obviously, I think they're different players, but you just hate to see a Wit or an MJ kind of become like a Byron Buxton who is, hey, this is our, our, our uber-talented player that we know is the future, but they can't stay on the field for 90 for 90 games in a year. And, um, and I think if that happens, that, that hurts them on the record. I think it hurts like the future. Um, and then I think it, and then I think that could hurt the core too. And, you know, I also, I also wonder too, like a, a worst case scenario would be the team tanks and they trade one of those promising players um, just because they're probably like, Hey, like maybe we got to trade an MJ Melendez for more, 
for more prospect capital or, Hey, we got to trade, you know, uh, um, somebody else like a, one of their pitching prospects, like a Daniel Lynch for, for pitching capital or for prospect capital. And I think that would be really deflating because so much has been hyped up about the core and to see them jettison off would be kind of a bummer. It, it certainly would. The, the only other worst case scenario that comes to my mind is what if we see some of these continued managerial blunders? Like what if, you know, we, we do have to remember this is Mac Quatrero's debut season as a manager. Like how is that going to sit with the Royals fan base, Jared, if, if we see, you know, more of the same or even worse in recent years from a, from a rookie manager? I mean, it's going to be tough, especially when the Royals fans wanting to pick it and go after Cal Eldred and Mike Matheny last year. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to point the finger at the manager and blame them, right? I think you looked at the Chicago White Sox are probably a perfect example of it. Everybody pointed the finger at Tony La Russa, but that team had so many more problems outside of Tony La Russa that, I mean... That's that's part of what it is. Like the manager is going to take the blunt. So I think it's going to be a struggle if Matt Quattraros, um isn't has has some ups and downs or some blunders. I mean, he's probably going to because he's a rookie manager. So I think fans need to be patient um, and just kind of not necessarily lower expectations, but have some like um, bandwidth to to have flexibility and be like, okay, this is what we got. We got a rookie manager. We've got a young player. It's like mistakes are going to happen. That is true. That is true. I I will say this though about patience, Kevin. I don't feel like a whole lot of Royals fans even had patience for say Bobby Witt Jr.'s performance last year. Like you you have to have some sort of patience with with these rookies, and you know even if they are going to be the franchise saver, yet you have to give them a little bit of time to time to get ready. So do you? I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who is one player that you think? fans need to have some patience with in 2023. I think Michael Massey is the big one um, because we really didn't see a full season of Michael Massey and, and as, as good as he was in this spring and um, you know, as spectacular as he was at times last year, there was also a lot of issues. He didn't really hit for high average. He has a pretty high strikeout rate. Um, and I think that'll be really tough with Michael Massey because you'll have Nicky Lopez and Matt Duffy behind him, but mostly Nicky Lopez. Cause he's such a fan favorite. If Massey gets to a slow start, will will Royals fans be saying, hey, Nicky Lopez should be in there? Um, will we hear clamoring for Michael Garcia? Um, I think Michael Massey is the real deal, but he's I'm not sure if he's a 300 hitter. Like, I'm not sure if he's a 280 hitter. He might be like a guy who's hitting 260, 250, but he's hitting 20 home runs for a for a second baseman, which is a lot of value, but not a lot of fans see that. So I would say Michael Massey, I could see him getting off to a slow start. Um, but I think fans just need to be patient because there's a lot of potential there. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I can jump in on this. Yeah, one, go ahead. I was going to say Vinny Pasquantino, just because Ooh. one, you have Nick Prado down there and Vinny Pasquantino. So showed some struggles in the WBC and he has this spring. And I feel like the hype is so high on him that the expectations from fans are high on him. Even if he hasn't even played a full season yet in the major leagues and everybody yeah. thinks he's going to be a top 50 player in baseball. And so, I mean, I feel like as soon as he struggles out the gate, I think fans are going to be all over him saying, oh, we need Nick Prado up here. Um, Vinny Pasquantino can't do this, that kind of thing. And I don't want to see that because I think that he's uber talented and everyone knows it. For sure. I 
to throw my hat in the ring, I think of Drew Waters when I mm. when I see this because what I think we saw like a little north of thirty games from from Waters in the twenty twenty two season, and man, everyone was ready to give him the the center field spot once Michael yeah. A. Taylor was was shipped off, and frankly, I I was too. You you see the potential there. But you do want to see a full season out of the guy. You want to see him healthy, too, because we, we talked about it before. Those oblique strains, man, that is, you know, sometimes it's just hard to come back from. And I'm I'm going to say it and I might jinx it. But that was one of the major injuries that Alberto Mondesi suffered. And we saw how that really hindered him. So I think. Fans need to have a little bit of patience with Drew Waters coming back from injury and just getting settled into a full-time role in Kansas City. All right, Kevin, I'm going to go back to you. You got to give me your one bold prediction for this year. And I'm, and I'm not talking about, you know, oh, they're going to sell 40 million hot dogs on a, on opening day or anything like that. Give me, give me some substance, man. Yeah. I, I don't think the Royals are going to have a very high win record. Um, I think the central is not going to be very good. And my bold prediction is I could see the Royals finishing third above Ooh. the White Sox this year. I, I, I like Pedro Grafal. I, I loved his press press conferences. I'm not sold on that roster. I, I'm not sold on whether or not they're going to stay healthy. I'm not sold on, on the pitching that they're going to have the appropriate bounce backs. I'm not sold that Grafal is necessarily like Quattraro that has really embraced it and Lex movement. I feel like he's more like he knows to say the right things. Um, and, and I could see the white Sox not making a lot of progress, especially if the injury bug hits them again. Um, I could see it be a situation where the Royals win like 76 games and the white Sox win like 74 or 75, but it wouldn't surprise me if the, the Royals were um, finishing third, slightly above the white Sox this year. That that would be very surprising, and I wouldn't complain one bit. Jared, what's your bold prediction for the 2023 season? I got bold player predictions, one on the pitching side and one on the hitting side. All right, let's I hear it. One, Araldis Chapman's going to bounce back completely and net the Royals two top 30 prospects. And then two, Framo Reyes is going to hit 30 home runs. So I'm going to let the Royals capitalize on their offseason moves this year. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that is that is some bold stuff, especially after everyone was, and you know what, rightfully so, I wasn't very optimistic about the free agent acquisitions this year. But hey, if you have two of these very low commitment guys that are doing so well, you can't complain about that one bit, right? Nope, and I'm shooting for the moon on both plays. Chances either of them have it? Probably not. But <laughs> that's for that, the best. That's why they're called bold, Jared. Yeah. Right? You got it. <laughs> we, we ain't asking for uh, for mild or, or lukewarm or anything like yeah. that. All right, guys. So to close out this segment, Jared, I want you to start off. Set the bar. How many games do the Royals win this season? I picked 72. I think they're going to repeat 2012. Um, that's my hope. That's again, probably my best case scenario, but that that's what I'm predicting is 72 wins. Okay. Kevin, what do you think? I think 75. I really, I think 75, I think like they barely edge out. I think the tigers are going to be bad. Like I, I think the tigers are going to be hundred, hundred loss bad this year. And so I think it's going to, like I said, I think the, last three teams in the division are not going to be very good. Um, but I see that the Royals like barely edging out the white Sox by win with 75 wins. Okay. Well, Hey, you know what? 
y'all y'all set the bar pretty high for me because I'm <laughs> I, I'm sticking with my preseason projection of 67 wins. Or they're going to be 80 plus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I would have put, been putting a lot of money down if I, if I really believed that, man. Um, but in all in in all seriousness, I I am looking through stat analytics, rose colored glasses, whatever you want to call it, because the projections have been so bad for for these Royals. I got to I don't want to believe it, but I'm going with the numbers on this one might come back to bite me in the butt. I put my big bet down on under 69 and a half wins. So we will we'll see if if that happens. But I am predicting 67 fun wins. I'll I'll say that I don't I don't think it's going to be like do you guys remember last season where it was just it was just a slog at times like even if they even if they were winning you didn't feel like they were winning i think i think the season's gonna be fun even if they are well below 500 you guys agree yeah i i I hope so i mean there was a lot of slog too one especially at the beginning of the season when carlos santana was just kind of milking his time at first base and i think frustrations from Orioles fans built there but yeah i think the young guys are all gonna be up no one's gonna have to wait for them so I think there's going to be a lot more fun. There's definitely a different energy with this team, especially compared to last year, different clubhouse, um, different, different management, different approach. And I think that's going to make it a lot more fun, especially for kind of hardcore baseball yeah. fans like us, you know, I, the general Royals fan, they're, they're going to complain about certain things. And especially if they are under 500, but um, I, I think there's a lot of things on the horizon that if, it, if this year isn't, a huge year and a step up. Um, definitely next year is going to see that. All right. Well, Hey, I am, I'm looking forward to it. I know the three of us, we're going to be tuning in for, I'd say 90% of the 160, 162 games, Kevin, the Royals did have a winning um, record when you were in attendance in Kaufman. So I'm going to need you to, uh, to go to more games this season. All right. I'll try to, I'll try to, unless I'm having to stay at school to <laughs> deal with more discipline issues. But, um, but believe me, it's like, that could be pulling the trigger on a, on a fountain pass, depending on, Ooh. depending on what this summer looks like. So we'll see. All right. All right. Well, Hey guys, that is going to do it for, for our segment here. I greatly appreciate both of y'all coming on now. Y'all get your one minute, Jared, start us off. Please plug your socials, plug your work. Where can everyone find you at? Yeah. So on Twitter, you can find me at uh, Jared CP one, um, uh, all my content on prospectslive.com. I think it's backslash beyond baseball. You can find the full podcast there. Um, all the articles that I wrote have a launch in the season two, uh, tomorrow, uh, with Jake Berger from the Chicago white Sox, um, talking about mental health and baseball and some of the, the adversity he had to overcome. For sure. For sure. And of longtime followers of Jared, you know, he does great work over the Royals on, you know, prospects and on mental health, some great stories that he's talked about. So please go check out beyond baseball and go check out prospects live. Now, Kevin, it's your turn, man. You got a whole website just yourself. Please tell folks where they can find it at. Yeah. You can find me at my website at at royalsreporter.com. It's about been about since 2019, which has been crazy, but royalsreporter.com. You can also find me at Twitter at Royal Report Kev. So at Royal Report Kev and also at PitcherList at PitcherList.com. I just contributed to the recent going deep piece on Randy Rosarena and uh, we'll be contributing to the weekly batter's box column. So if you're into fantasy baseball, check out PitcherList and my work there. For sure. Hey, thank you both so much for coming on. Please 
listeners, these are two guys you you want to support, you want to you want to follow for Royals content and just baseball content in general. So please check them out. All their links will be in the description of this podcast. But Jared, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. And all you listeners out there on the other side of this, we will be talking to Locked On MLB prospects about some prospects you want to keep an eye on in the 2023 season. But Jared, Kevin, sign our guys. See ya. See you later. Hello and welcome back to the Royals Rundown Podcast. Jacob Milham still here. And I have a very special guest with me right now, Lindsey Crosby of the Locked On MLB Prospects Podcast. Lindsey, how are you doing tonight, man? Oh, I am. Listen, baseball is tomorrow. I am so happy. Our long national wait is over because the game that we love is back and I could not be happier. You got me the best night of the year. It it really is. I know I have to work tomorrow, but I really don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight because I'm I'm really amped. Opening day needs to be a national holiday. Gosh, darn it. At, at least in my eyes, it does. If if I ever get voted into Congress, you know, God help us all if, if I do. But I will at least put that motion on the floor to make it a national holiday. And I'm sure you would vote for it as well. I would. And I would also make the schedule where you don't have a full slate on Thursday and then only five games on Friday. That seems odd <laughs> to me, too. With the first yeah. one starting at like 4 or 5 p.m., do this like the NCAA tournament and just give us like 12 hours of baseball for four Please. straight days, tons of national broadcasts. So you can just sit on your couch for four days and watch baseball. Like exactly. everybody wants that, right? I look, I, I at least do. I'm sure someone out there is going to complain about where, where's my NBA or where's my, where's my 12 hours of NFL coverage in the off season. But Hey, it is, it is baseball's time. Mm-hmm. Damn it. I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it while it is here. And I, I apologize for uh, for swearing there. But <laughs> anywho's listen. So to all of my listeners out there, uh, Lindsay, very, very knowledgeable mind on all MLB prospects. I would say he had an incredible series in the offseason where he previewed every single one of the farm systems. Um, what like that took you two months all that- in all? It was about a two month project. We were doing uh, five of them a week, plus our usual Monday mailbag. So six shows a week for about six weeks. Then we had to kind of summarize it all at the end and go over the, who the top guys were and all of that. It was a big project, but it really, it really is great as far as getting to know. So like I had already done a lot of the background work on a lot of this Royal system because mm-hmm. back in February, Saturday, uh, February 4th, if you want to go back and find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, I went through and talked about the top prospects in the system, talked about the state of the pitching, uh, talked about some of the superlatives, like who's the breakout player, who needs to stay healthy, who's the best outfield defender, that kind of fun stuff. And so Mm -hmm. it's something where the system feels a lot deeper than it used to feel in the last couple of years. It's felt kind of top heavy. And obviously you graduated a ton of guys out last year. I mean, you know, between Witt and Pascantino and Melendez, I just graduated tons of like seven or eight guys graduated out of the system last year. And so uh, the first assumption would be there's nobody left, but in reality, like you can go down and you can find guys at all the different levels and find, find just about every profile. You've got tools, the outfielders and Gavin cross and drew waters. I think he's like one at bat away from not being a prospect anymore, Uh, (laughs) but you can find uh, middle infielders and corner infielders. There's tons, there's tons of arms. Obviously the whole question is just getting them to the bigs. Um, And then there's not a lot of catchers, but 
I like Carter Jensen being out there and, and some of what he can do. So tons of stuff. And I'm excited to go wherever you want to go with this. All right. Well, sounds like a plan. Well, hey, we, we're going to start with the work that you have already done to all my listeners out there. Um, I will put a link to Lindsay's projections and review on the Royals farm system down in the, in the description of the podcast. So please go check that out wherever you get your podcast at or on YouTube. But Lindsay, I know you did all that back in February and I know you had to renew and review your notes before tonight's show. I am curious, has spring training changed anything for the prospect outlook? So a lot of spring training, I, I struggle sometimes because you have to figure out when you look at the stats, what is a useful stat and what is small sample size or lucky convenience, things like that. If you're curious about trying to look, go back and look at spring training stats to figure out if they're useful or not, when you pull up a guy on baseball reference, there's a little thing in the spring training stat line. It says quality of opponent and it's a one through 10 score. Yeah. Uh, so I like before anybody gets super hyped about a stat line they see in spring training, go look to see how good the competition was they were playing. Uh, but one of the big things for me is I always like to go and look at the physical changes. Look at the guys who have, you know, maybe they've lost some weight. Maybe they've added some muscle. Uh, you know, maybe they somehow hit a growth spurt. Some of those, those international guys do things like that. And there's some of these guys that came into camp in pretty good shape. Uh, some of them like drew waters came into camp and then got hurt. Uh, he was yeah. one of the ones that was reported to, to be in a little better shape, had, had lost some, some weight, looked a little, looked a little larger in the, the upper half. But, um, for the most part, it's, I'm just really excited to see where these guys go in, mm -hmm. um, in 23. I did see towards the end of spring training, Gavin cross got quite a bit of, of run there. looked pretty good. Looked yep. the patients looked to be real. We always talked about he had kind of gap to gap line drive power and, and, and then he'd pull a home run, but it felt like the power had come in a little bit more. So felt, felt a little better. Looked like he was doing better than that 25% strikeout rate in low A last year. So mm -hmm. kind of made you feel good that he's taking the steps he needs to take. Obviously uh, profiles to be a high A guy, but you have to wonder, would they maybe get him to double A sooner rather than later? So right. uh, it's, Spring training was useful, but it's still mostly about what are you going to do in the season for me? Unless it's a pitcher who got a new pitch. That's always fun. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. And I will say that is one of the most frustrating things to me about spring training is we're, we're looking for all these new things and a, a reason to get excited about certain players and i go straight to baseball savant because i want some of that stat cast i want some of that some of that insight and you know for the royals they don't play in a in a stat cast park unfortunately so that was very very frustrating but i will say though like with the timing it's like michael massey he's a guy that got really lucky because nicky lopez was off at the world baseball classic yeah and so he was able to get extended play time and granted it's cactus league. You don't have all of the stat cast stuff, but just the, the, the traditional stats. I mean, I, I want to say slugging was close to 600 opponent quality was right there around like triple a level. And it's like, well, that's a good sign. He hit four home runs in like 16 games, you know, keep that pace up in the regular season. Let's see how far yeah. we go with this, but it makes you feel good about him making the team and being the second baseman. I actually have him as one of my, like late round, I'm gonna go grab this guy in fantasy and keep him on my bench because I think he can do something. And once Jazz Chisholm gets center field eligibility, I can plug Michael Massey right in the second base and let's roll. 
Heck yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad plan at all. Before we move on from spring training all the way, I do want to ask you about Nick Lofton. You were talking about some of these um, physical changes that we see in players in spring training, and that is all Royals fans heard about during the spring training broadcast. Um, people with the team were saying he's gained 20, 25 pounds of, of muscle, and you can you could see it during the games like he looks considerably bigger and right now mlb.com does have him ranked as the fourth highest or fourth most promising i guess prospect in the royals system are you are you high on nick lofton at all so i i had best thought about nick lofton as that ben zopras type of super utility but the reason Mm -hmm. i had him as a super utility guy was because because i thought there was a cap on his power to kind of around 40 or 45. So the extra weight that he's at, I think he's like just over 200 now. Like he was, he was at 180 last year. Yeah. Um, it's something where you saw when he went to, uh, to AAA, his strikeout rate went up, his walk rate went down. So he's not quite a finished product, but it's something his, his approach was very good. It was just, he was limited power wise, as long as the speed hasn't backed up. And I didn't get to see a lot of him actually play, but as long as the Mm -hmm. speed didn't back up, he feels like the guy above average arm, really good baseball instincts and has a really good first step. And so he should be able to do havoc on the base paths with these, these new stolen base rules. Uh, He still should still be able to cover short, to cover third, to cover second, to play in a corner outfield, provided that speed hasn't backed up. He has the ability to play four, five, six positions at an average to above average level and now hopefully be able to have at least an average power tool, which Mm -hmm. means nothing is below average. He's one of those guys that, yeah, everything's average or above average, but some of his parts, you probably raise his ceiling from like a 50 to a 55, which takes you from an average MLB or to a guy who's a definite starter who could occasionally run into an all-star game or two. Like it's, that was the big missing piece for Nick Lofton was, well, one, get comfortable with the higher level of pitching, like at triple a, but find a way to unlock the power. And I think he finally did. It's super exciting. Uh, I'm sure Baylor would have loved him to have that power when he was in college, but super exciting to have that here. For sure. I'm, I'm not going to complain one bit. I am very excited to see him. Probably I am going to predict that he does make his MLB debut at some point during mm-hmm. the 23 season. Um, you know, he's 24 right now. I think he is within the competitive timeline of the Royals that they're going to want to see what they have with him moving forward. But I'm going to, so I'm going to assume my listeners have not listened to your uh, to your preview to your review of the farm system yet. So I'm I'm going to kind of start from from base level. No, we can both agree Gavin Cross is the consensus number one prospect, right? Gavin Cross is the number one prospect. Uh, he looks he feels like he's a fast mover, like he should be able to get to the bigs. I would yeah. say probably by some point in time in the second half of next year, like. If not sooner, it it just feels like he's a fast moving guy. I could very much see one of those high A to double A, maybe two triple A moves this year. Uh, Or like, but worst case scenario, it feels like you're still looking at a provided he's healthy, uh, uh, high A to double A, maybe cup of coffee in triple A this year, contending for a job next year. And something where MJ Melendez probably spends a little more time behind the plate. You can put him at, you can put Gavin Cross right into that corner outfield slot. 
Uh, honestly, I think with the arm, he could play right field it, above average to plus. It kind of, it's a little different to me. I, I sometimes see it as better than above average. Sometimes I see it. It's like, okay, it's kind of above average, the speed, not a separating tool, but it's no. enough. He can go first to third on a single. He can steal bases using the instincts. The rule changes will help him. Uh, it, it feels like the intangibles as well. You're looking at consensus number one in the system. And mm-hmm. I honestly have them as a top 50 player in baseball right now, or top 50 prospect. I, I was so surprised when Fangraphs dropped their top 100 prospects and he wasn't even, I think he was like 120 or something like that. I think Gavin Cross is going to surprise a lot of people not familiar with the Royal system. And you know what? Rightfully so. There's not a whole lot of folks <laughs> that are keeping active tabs on Royals prospects nowadays, but I, I will agree with you on, I think you could start this season at double a, in Northwest Arkansas, um, yeah. the the Diego Hernandez injury earlier on in spring training did open up a, a spot for the Naturals. So I think maybe he could at least go there for a little while, make his case, mm-hmm. and he, he might just end up staying there. Who knows? I, I don't think he would get demoted personally, but we'll have to wait and see. And this is why we're so excited for opening day, because there's a lot of this talk has been, Hey, wait and see what happens. We will, you know, just got to see them on the field, got to see them play things like that. And we finally, we're finally getting that. So I am very, very excited. Um, I'm going to, I got to hit on it. I, I love Ben Kuderna. I've interviewed him before. He's, he's a great guy. I think he has a great baseball mentality, but just like Gavin cross is the consensus. Number one guy. I think most people agree. Ben Kuderna is not the top two prospect that MLB.com has him, has him pegged at. Do you agree, Lindsay, or is that the right spot to have? Man? So baseball America had him, I think at four, I had him down actually at five. And it's not okay. because I don't like him. One, I, I thought Michael Garcia deserved that number four spot. That was kind of a thing to me. And I was anticipating he'll be four after opening day when Drew Waters graduates. But uh, part of it for me is you look at the stuff, right? The stuff is is promising. The fastball, I mean, wait, back up a little bit. He has a good frame. 6'3". I want to say he's he was listed last year at 215. I feel like he's a little bit bigger than that now. Yeah. Uh, but... Fastball sits 95 or so. He can run it up a little more. I think the slider, I love a good gyro slider. I think the slider has a little more work to do on it. And honestly, I wish he'd throw it a little bit harder. I feel like a Mm. lot of the gyro sliders benefit from coming in. You want him to look like the fastball and tunnel off the fastball, but he's got such a velocity difference because it averages like 82 and and the fastball, again, is around 95 or so. And so I think if the slider came in about 85, he'd, it'd be a little firmer and it would end up being a plus pitch right now. It's probably average and could get to average, but I do think the tools are there, right? The delivery is an easy, smooth, repeatable delivery. Uh, he mm-hmm. does sometimes, he does sometimes get a little cross body he kind of works across the body. He might spin mm-hmm. open a bit. It's, it's not as consistent, uh, but it's a clean delivery when he does it right. So like the tools are there, the raw tools are there, but you can kind of tell he's 19, especially when he throws a changeup because uh, <laughs> prep, prep, prep pitchers just don't really need changeups. And so again, I think the changeup could be a promising pitch too. It's just, 
He doesn't really disguise it well. It doesn't tunnel very well because he's not used to it. So I can see why Pipeline would put him number two. I can see why Baseball America would have him number four or five. I think that his true talent level right now is probably closer to the four or five, but I think his ceiling might be closer to the two if he yeah. can make all of these things click. You know, add a little, another tick or two of velocity on the fastball, get the slider a little bit harder and firmer, get the change up to disguise a little better, and then just keep the mechanics clean. I think you're looking at a guy instead of a four, like a number five starter, he could be a number four, maybe even a number three. Okay. Outstanding. Hey, we're already talking about Kuduno. So we let's stick with his draft class mate in Frank Mazzucato. Um, He was, I would describe him as a prospect who has not been very popular amongst Royals fans. They selected him seventh overall in 2021 draft. It's, you know, just folks were expecting more of a, of a splashy of a, of a sexier pick. And, you know, Frank Mazzucato really, really wasn't that <laughs> pipeline does have him ranked as the seventh overall prospect. I do want to get your thoughts on him though, because there's a lot of variance in people's profile of him. Yeah. And fans have to remember too, that yes, he was drafted seventh overall, but he took like $2 million less than he, yeah. like than you had to pay or than the slot value for that pick which gave you money for other guys like a curtain and things like that. So it's, it's not just where the guys picked, but you know, that does matter too. I think he's another guy, lots of promise, right? He has a lot of stuff. The curveball is a, I think it's I'm not going to call it a filthy curveball, but it's a very good curveball. Uh, the <laughs> yes, vertical breaker is. high seventies, uh, it gets like a foot and a half of vertical movement, but it also kind of runs to the glove side a little bit, which is out not it was that two plane break is a little bit harder for a lot of hitters to pick up the only thing i worry about is it it limits the ability to add like a sweepy slider later because mm-hmm. you already have some horizontal break in that but he has a uh, he, he has a change up also has some vertical break but that's where this comes into play because instead of doing fastball slider curveball you do fastball curveball change so he gets uh cur- the change up sits i want to say 80, 485 or so, I think mid eighties. And so you've got three different speeds, uh, three different directions of break because you have down, you have down and to the right, and then you have the fastball staying up. I do think the fastball, he needs to throw it up in the zone a little more. He tends okay. to sometimes kind of leave it down. And that's, it feels like that's a high school kid thing, right? You throw your fastball so. low in the zone. Cause even if they do manage to get a bat on it, they're probably chopping it into the ground and you can make the play. Uh, but elevate the fastball a little bit. And then he's going to get that natural velocity. I think he's like what? Six, three, 200 right now was in, he was in high school this time last year. I mean, he's going to get some of that in there. Uh, the one thing I do want to work on, you see it in his walk numbers, right? I want to say in Columbia, I think he walked like 50 guys in the, the 60, the 69 innings that he pitched. It's something where his mechanics in the delivery, it's the bat, it's, it's the the last part of the delivery are not always consistent. Where he, where he lands, like the front of his body, uh, he doesn't always land in the same spot on the mound. And so be, when he's inconsistent, sometimes the way he he leads, or those are the way he lands with that front leg, it mm-hmm. causes him to to pull the ball to the side. And that's where some of his accuracy issues come from. And I feel like that's something that's definitely fixable. Uh, it just takes getting him aware of it 
showing it to him and then understanding pitching well enough to make that change and having brought in some of the guys that you've brought into this system as far as coaches, your manager, obviously, things like that. It feels like that's a simple fix that they can make. And once you do that, he's got some pretty good stuff. You know, uh, it, it, it's something where if he could, if you could throw more strikes, I just, so many of these Kansas City Royals pitchers don't throw a strike on the first pitch. And it, it's just, it's a little bit frustrating because first pitch, like if you can get ahead 0-1 in Major League Baseball, hitters will bat 216, 261, 345 against you and strike out 31% of the time. If you can get and up 0-1 versus 1-0. So something I really want to see. Uh, and then I think the Royals were towards the bottom of that list as far as how often they got a first pitch strike in. I want to say uh, one, I was going to say 28th or 29th in first pitch strikes. So something I want to see them work on is if he can work on that control, he can land those pitches for a strike on the first pitch, get ahead in the count, and then he's just going to take off and explode. Just a matter of getting that biomechanical stuff worked out. I so I was way too long there. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> no, you have you have no reason to apologize, Lindsay. Thank you so much. No, I and that's that that's the stuff we need to hear because let's be honest, the the Fireflies where he played at the most mm-hmm. last season, they're out in Columbia. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're in South Carolina. So most Royals fans aren't going out and seeing him pitch in person. And so we need to hear these things and you know, hear about the fixes and things like that. Now, speaking of fixes, there is a lot of pressure being put on the new people that the Royals have brought in this season. And of course, rightfully so, most of the attention is being put on people at the major league level, you know, new new pitching coaches, mm-hmm. new uh, new pitching assistant. I think Mr. Bove is going to be a, a very underrated addition to the, the pitching coaching staff. But what I want to focus on is the development of these pitching prospects. How soon can Royals expect a return on investment, if you will? How soon can we expect to see improvements and progress out of these prospects? We've seen flounder for years. Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to uh, a lot of it comes down to philosophy stuff, right? So for instance, bringing in Matt Quattro, uh, you know, the, he, he comes from the Rays who, this is funny because it's very, very coincidental. One of the big things that they talk a lot about is throw a first pitch strike. It's a mm-hmm. philosophy. And so I think a lot of it is understanding the, this is where the game has evolved to, right? This is where the game has gone. We're going to be on the leading edge of bringing in these new ideas about how to make the game better. Um, so now that you have these guys in, I would expect by the end of the year, the guys who listen to what they're telling them to do and buy into it and understand, I think you'll start to see legitimate improvement. I would say it, it, should, it should be within two seasons. You should see either significant improvement in the pitching specifically or guys flaming out because they don't have it. It's uh. something where when you look at the Rays, the Rays are known for being patient with their pitchers because they don't promote them until they understand the concepts and they buy into the philosophy of what the organization is doing. And then when the Rays think they're ready, the Rays will take them like Shane Boss and throw them into a playoff series. 
it's, yeah. but it's just the Rays are slow to promote their pitchers at the minor league level because they want them to understand and buy into these concepts. And that is the hardest thing to do is to get those concepts explained in a way to the players that they understand, they appreciate, and that they accept. And I think the guys that I've seen that have left Tampa and gone to Kansas City, I feel good about the culture coming in, looking over some of the minor league staffs. A lot of guys who played but weren't the best players, they were really good Mm -hmm. clubhouse guys. They were really good. They they, they understood. They did what the coaches wanted them to do, and they're building the right culture. You've got uh, Brooks Conrad and Haye. He was a former Brave. Uh, You've got – Wilson Bedemitz, a, a, a hitting coach down in the, in the Dominican, a lot of guys coming in that uh, understand the analytics and they understand how much good information and the utilization of that information can make you a better player because Brooks Conrad wasn't a great player. He played for my team. I watched him. He wasn't a great player. He had three, <laughs> he had three errors in one inning one time, Oof. but yeah, but he played for as long as he did because he was open to trying new things and he trusted his coaches when they said, we think you'll be good at this. And that's the type of culture you have to instill. It's not so much a, Hey, show this guy how to throw a changeup. It's Hey, help explain to this guy why this changeup at this location in this count is the right pitch to throw when he's thinking I should throw a fastball. That's what it's about. It's not so much the mechanical Here's how you grip a slider. It's when do you apply that slider in the situation to get that hitter out? And I think that's the strength of the staff that you've brought in uh, starting at the very top and working Mm -hmm. all its way down. So I feel good about getting results, seeing some of the pitchers looking better this year. And by the end of next year, having a much clearer idea as to which of all of these pitchers that we've drafted in 2020 or 2021, you know, your Beckways, your Mazzucatos, your Cardinals, all these guys, are they going to work out or are they not going to work out? Okay. And I will. So lo- looking at the pipeline list, one of the first things that I noticed is there wasn't a whole lot of pitchers in the top 10 and that's, and that's fine. That's a byproduct of struggling to develop pitching prospects because it, it's just a historical thing for, for us Royals. I mean, Danny Duffy and Jordano Ventura, those are about the only notable <laughs> prospects that the Royals have developed to be starting pitchers in well, recent years. And part, it's very of unfortunate. It too, part of it too, is there was this push to get those pitchers to the bigs that like they were all drafted around the same time. You know, it's yep. like, Hey, we're going to get Brady Singer and Chris Bubik. We're going to get all these guys to the bigs all at the same time. But like you didn't make sure they were good first getting them to the bigs is only half of it. They have to be right. good when they get there. And so like that was part of it as well as that group of pitchers was rushed to the bigs. And I'm not saying like they all would, but like some of those guys would probably just now be getting out of prospect eligibility had they not got pushed to the big so quickly. So I think that's, that's part of it. But then I do like the, like the, the 11 through 20 level in this system. I mean, if I'm having a tough top of my head, I'm saying probably nine, eight or nine pitchers are in that 11 through 20 range, you know, guys yeah. like a, Drafty Mason Barnett, probably in the back half of that 20. TJ Sakema is probably in that 15, 16 range. Andrew Hoffman's kind of hanging around there. There's a lot of arms in that mid range. And the question is going to be how many of those are going to step up into the top 10 
And like, that's the question with this new staff is, is it one of them? Cause that's the whole Braves way you used to have to you know, have 10 pitching prospects to get one pitcher. That was they <laughs> more, the whole Braves way of doing yeah. things. You just load up on arms and you see who rises. But with this raise staff, you'd like to think the hit rate can be two or three, or maybe even four of those guys into the top 10 versus just one or two. And that's the real question about this rebuild is, is uh, how many of the pitchers can they f- help them figure it out? Okay. I will speak in, you're, you're talking about change of mindsets and things like that. I did. It's hard to not notice the fact that most of the minor league players that they have released this season have been pitchers. It's, it's been groups of six or seven pitchers and I'm not, you know, I don't scroll the minor league baseball transaction wire very often, but I felt like that was very different. I don't know if, if all the teams are doing that at this time of the year, or if that is them already going, okay, Hey, these guys, they're not going to fit our mold. They're not going to, they haven't done this spring, what we want them to do. And we're just going to cut loose and keep it moving. Do you think that is what the Royals are doing? Or is that just a coincidence? A lot of that, when you see a new group take over, uh, a, a lot of that is your coaches will kind of reach out to some of the prospects over the winter and things like that and kind of say, Hey, you know, we've, we've watched the preliminary video. Here's what we're thinking about for you. When you get to spring training, here's the things that we want you to kind of spend some time working on over the winter, whether it's physical changes, whether it's uh, working on a pitch, what, you know, whatever it might be. And the guys that come in and haven't done any of that work, that kind of tells you, well, if they're not going to do it after we tell them, we want them to like, can we trust them to put in the work? Is it worth the investment? And the rays have always operated from that thing of, we have more prospects than we can reasonably coach. So you're going to have to take some ownership over your own development. We're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you the education, but we can't hold your hand because we have a ton of prospects. And every year when it's time for the 40 man roster decisions, the Rays are yeah. trading out prospects because they've got 50 guys that should be protected and they've got 40 spots. And it's that mentality, which it, initially it hurts a little bit. It feels like it's like, it's a little bit tough and it's, it's kind of hard to face when it first starts, but in the long run, it works out better because you, now you have more resources to devote to the guys that want to get better. The guys that get it, the guys that understand uh, what I've done is not good enough. I have to work more. So it's okay. tough to see the groups like that on the wire. When you kind of look at the wire, I, I check on it every couple of days and I've seen some, I'm like, Oh wow, that's a lot of arms leaving the system. <laughs> but, but ultimately it's, it's, it's for the best. And it just gives you a better opportunity to take the guys who stuck around and make them into productive big leaguers. Okay. So I, I don't want to keep you here here all night, Lindsay. I know you got you got better things to be doing than talking about Royals prospects. But I do have to ask, you know, when you were going through your rundown in February, when you were mm-hmm. reviewing them before tonight, are there any of these lower level guys that are really intriguing you right now? So it, it's kind of a cop out because he's I think Baseball America has him top 10, but I do like Carter Jensen. Uh, it's something I mentioned earlier, not a ton of catchers in this system. I think there's maybe, I think there's maybe one other in the top 30 on pipeline. I think Luca Tresh yeah. might be towards the bottom there, 
but I really like what I've seen out of Carter Jensen. It was an odd decision to be like, you know, we don't have any catchers. Let's absolutely go in there and uh, get a prep catcher because, you know, it takes, they're so quick to get to the bigs. But I like the tools that he has. It's not often you find a lefty hitting catcher that kind of has some natural loft in the swing and can grow into home run power and then has the athleticism to stay behind the plate. Um, I, he, he's raw. Obviously, he needs reps. But the arm is above average. He's good as far as moving laterally to make blocks. The hands, the transfer, the pop time's all good. It's just something where offensively, he focuses on pitches that he can drive. Very good approach with two strikes. He's gotten much better at that since he got drafted. Like, there's some growth right there. He wouldn't have been a top 10 prospect when he got drafted. And then to go along with all of that, it's he's going to have natural strength gains. And I think you're going to see the home run power start to come in. I think he hit, what, 11 last year in, in like 113 games. That's he feels right. like a guy who's going to be closer to 20 home runs this year and I think has a ceiling of probably 25 at the major league level with 100 starts or so. I don't know if any catcher will do that when he gets up by then. But uh, I really like Carter Jensen. I had him as my breakout prospect for anybody who's going to go watch that episode. Uh, spoiler alert, I had him as the breakout uh, in that show to break out this season. Just really like what he does. Like him, like him on film. Feel like the baseball IQ is there. I always forget he he's only nineteen too. He is he is one of the youngest top yeah. ten prospects in the Royal system. So there, there's yeah. still a lot of growth there. Yeah, and then getting outside the the top ten, Diego Hernandez, the outfielder, is the yeah. IFA in twenty seventeen. Um, offensively, obviously he's got some stuff to work on. He hits the ball on the ground too much, like 50% of the time. Uh, I've, I've heard he's working on that specifically, but defensively, it is a lot of fun to watch him play in the outfield. Mm -hmm. It's that 70 grade speed. He is just, it's just really good reads routes, reactions to the ball, uh, looks very good. It's like, if you can just shorten the swing and elevate the dang ball, you will be a center fielder in Kansas city next year. Like just, <laughs> yeah. just do those two things for me. Um, I mean, he, he was in double a last year. I think he hit like what, 280 or something like that. And it's because he's so fast. He can slap it in the ground and beat the throw to first. That's yep. not sustainable at the major league level, unless you're Billy Hamilton. So I need him to work on the, uh, the shorting the swing, elevating the ball a little bit, but I do like what Diego Hernandez has as far as tools and ability. And I think he's that close from being able to turn it into uh, a guy who can live as a starter at the major league level. I, I do agree. Diego Hernandez, I was super high on him ahead of spring training. Um, that dislocated shoulder early on in spring training did really, really, really kind of like, oh man, he's going to take a while for him to get back. But hey, let's look out. Let's see what he's already done. 75 stolen bases over the past two seasons. That mm -hmm. that speed is, is there. It's in the field. It's on the base paths. And he had a little power jump last year. He hit nine home runs. In double A, which it, it isn't a whole lot, but that's still, I would say that tracks with Michael Garcia. You know, Michael Garcia was kind of one of these defensive first infielders who had a nice glove and was a good contact and speed guy. But, you know, once he started developing that power tool a little bit more, that's where he started turning some heads. So I think I, I do agree with you. I think Diego Hernandez, after he's healthy, he could turn a lot more heads by the end of 2023. And to do it in that ballpark, which has 
like in the Texas league, a lot of those ballparks have park factors showing that like their pitchers parks, as far as power's concerned, yeah. um, you know, the power numbers are lower on average than you would see with the exception of Amarillo where the ball like, Amarillo and Springfield, the ball will absolutely fl- jump out of the park. But outside of those, Yikes. the rest of them are all very much pitchers park. So to hit the home runs in Arkansas is definitely a good thing. And, and they're in Northwest Arkansas. For sure. For sure. Well, Hey, um, Lindsay, I really do appreciate you, you coming on tonight before we get out of here. Is there, is there any other prospect you're looking at? Are there any other expectations that you're having for the Royals farm system in 2023? Um, I like it. I think that when you look at the organizational talent rankings, now a lot of places have it in the um, middle of the twenties. I think if the pitchers pan out, like we expect, it's going to be on the backside of the teens by the start mm-hmm. of next year, especially if the draft goes well, which I think it will bring in these raise guys. Um, I expect the system as a whole to jump from the mid twenties to the back half of the teens. But I do, I am concerned about the number of catchers and I, I I'm a little bit, it's not a great draft for catchers, but it feels like Kyle Teal. is probably your number one draft pick, the catcher out of okay. Virginia with um, who's just a professional hitter with uh with good athleticism behind the plate so kind of feels like that's the thing you're missing is more catching depth in the system but i like where the pitching can go with some good coaching and good development awesome outstanding outstanding stuff Lindsay. i I really do appreciate it um for for all my listeners out there please go check out the lock locked on mlb prospects podcast there it's not just royals but even the just the Royals content alone is some of the best prospect breakdown that, that you're ever going to hear. So, Lindsay, we really do appreciate all the work that you're doing to highlight our, uh, our little old farm system down here in Kansas City. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And you can go follow Lindsay on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. And, Lindsay, please refresh my memory. Where can they find just locked on in general? Uh, so... Anywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube, five days a week covering all 30 teams in Major League Baseball, as well as fantasy baseball. Obviously, I'm covering prospects and then just about every other major sport you can think of. We have NFL, we have NBA, we have hockey, we have about 50 college te- uh, college shows. So anywhere you get your podcasts and YouTube, you can find the Lockdown Podcast Network. All right. Thank you very much, Lindsay. And here, now you get to hear my, my outro. To all of our listeners out there, please go check out RoyalsReview.com when you can for even more prospects, breakdowns, even more news and updates on all things Kansas City Royals. But until next time, go Royals!